You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Um, I have been uh, assigned the task today of walking us through not only one of the most famous texts in the entire scripture, but probably one of the more famous texts in literature. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's probably few, if any, more familiar lines in our Bibles. Um, and for many, this has probably become a bit of a slogan, um, maybe even void of much meaning, uh, something to only be read at funerals, maybe quoted in a hospital room. Uh, it can become, and maybe for some has become, the biblical equivalent of amazing grace, uh, or maybe even more so like the Star Spangled Banner. Baseball game starts, Star Spangled Banner. Bagpipes play, amazing grace. Uh, funeral reading begins, read Psalm 23. Picture of a sheep on the wall at your grandmother's house, Psalm 23. Uh, this is almost certainly one of the most beloved um, and most quoted Psalms of them all. And so I think that probably means for us uh, that one of our biggest dangers is uh, its familiarity. Uh, that that we need to pray and as we walk into this text together that our eyes would be opened beyond just the familiarity of the reading, but that we would see the truth um, that is found here and let it sink deeply into our hearts. So we're going to answer the question, what kind of shepherd uh, do we need? And so to kind of break up the familiarity with the text, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We are going to stand to read God's word, um, but we're going to read it together. So if, if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. And let's read it together. I'm going to put it up on the screen. We're going to read it from the CSB. And you may have a different translation in your hand. Uh, if, you, if you don't, then great. But if you, if you do have a different one, then let's, uh, let's read it together on the screen. So there it is. All right, let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise uh, that you are a shepherd to us. And that we can say that you are ours and that we are yours. Father, would you uh, lead us today uh, to not be, uh, to not tune out familiar words, but rather to see the truth that you have given us such a simple but profound truth um, that you are a good God and you are one who has taken uh, to, to great, gone to great lengths by which to show us care and show us that we lack nothing when we are with you. So would you lead us to all of this today? And we ask all of it for Christ's name. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. About eight or nine years ago in the very early days of Redeemer, I started noticing that I was not doing too well with heights. Um, now, this wasn't a huge surprise. I'm getting older. Um, and years 
earlier, before Amy and I were married, we had gone with a group of folks, um, mostly members of her extended family. We went camping in Big Bend National Park because who doesn't like camping in Texas in the summer? And there, there now exists a number of stories that get repeated quite frequently from that trip, um, from encounters with a coyote, uh, a skunk fight, those are fun, uh, the remains of a bobcat that we found, uh, and a huge downpour of rain on the last night of our camping that destroyed the men's tent and drove us to our cars. Um, but amongst my most least impressive moments of the trip was when we hiked to the top of Mount Emery, the biggest peak in Big Ben. And when you get to the top of this hike, there's a series of somewhat perilous steps where you're pretty much facing a, a rock face, at least to my recollection, this is, it was perilous, um, where a foot slip at the wrong time uh, would leave you plunging, I'm thinking, to your death, um, at least to some broken bones. Needless to say, I froze there. And after a series of and moments of shaming, um, I proceeded toward the top, hugging the mountain all the way. And it was there that I, on, on this trip 18 years ago, that I first noticed that my love for heights as a child was diminishing. Um, this is why so 10 years later, when I began to notice that suddenly my heart would race while driving over an overpass or while going over a tall interstate ramp. Can we just all admit that those are ridiculous? Uh, you know, it's why it seemed like no big deal. I thought, you know, I'm getting older. It's just how it's going to work here. And, but I began to notice that it wasn't just heights. And it wasn't always just while driving. Um, in random moments, alone with my thoughts, I began to notice my eyes even having trouble focusing, uh, being even a little short of breath to the point that I remember pulling over to the side of the road a couple of times while I was driving just because I was afraid I was going to drive off the road because I couldn't see. So one day as I'm driving with my wife, I decided to come clean. And I said, you know, this scary thing's kind of happening to me. And surely it's just something physical. Nothing's probably the problem, the matter. Um, but here's what's happening. And she says in her very concerned voice, just asks a simple question. Have you prayed about it? And, and through that simple question, uh, that began to kind of just draw back uh, the curtains, kind of looking, peering into my heart. It was though the Lord began to just say and, and, and tell me, you thought the future of Redeemer uh, this new church that had many difficult, painful early days was, was somehow resting on your shoulders. That somehow you were a shepherd of my sheep. That somehow you and the other leaders could hold a ministry together. That, that you could mend broken friendships or adulterous marriages. You thought your young family uh, with your two young boys at the time belonged to you. That the weight of your family shepherding your wife and your children, that that was somehow all on you but you've not come to me to be your shepherd. And the way of trying to be the good shepherd was destroying me. All these anxieties, the searching for validation, control, failed attempts at pleasing men and not God, fears of failing. The Lord was saying, come to me. You are weary. You are heavy laden. I will give you rest. So that be, kind of began a, a season of confessing weakness before the Lord, confessing there is a chief shepherd and I am not him. Even this morning, I am so grateful that our church 
has, has four other men. There's five of us who serve as elders here at the church. I'm thankful that in God, God's wisdom that he sees fit for churches to be led by a plurality of people. And I, I can just say publicly, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for my brother Jeff. I'm thankful for his friendship, that he ministers to us God's word week after week. Uh, his friendship is, is, is nourishing to me. Um, for Barry Pett, Skip Richter, Brad Smith, these, these men, they, they shepherd me. And they point us, that we point one another to the good shepherd. And there comes a time for all of us when we have to come to grips with who God is and who we are. That there is one shepherd and then there are sheep. And even though the Bible may call those who led Israel and even those who lead the church today shepherds, we are all still sheep. We all need the shepherd. So as we look at Psalm 23, I want us to see the shepherd, the one who renews our life. But before we can answer this question, what kind of shepherd do we need? I just want us to start with a couple confessions together. So we're going we're gonna to confess together some things. The first confession is this, the Lord is my shepherd. It's funny, we're prone to think that, that when David was a shepherd boy, uh, that he was likely sitting out in the field one day and it just dawned on him. Huh, you know, the Lord's kind of like a shepherd. Hmm, never noticed that before. And we're kind of like sheep. So he wrote a song. That's kind of our thinking, I think, sometimes when we think about the Psalms. This was his, his observations. He wrote them down. No, this was not an accidental or poetic view of God. David didn't make it up. Over 50 times, God refers to himself or others refer to God um, as a shepherd. It's interesting, I think, to think about the analogies that God uses for himself. He's not random. He's not haphazard. In his sovereignty, God has said, I'm the groom. You're my people, the bride. He said, I'm the father. Uh, you're my children. He said, I'm the king. You're my subjects, my nation. So don't think for a minute that God created the world and that he stood back and thought, you know what? What really reminds me of, of my faithful love for my people, that marriage thing that I made, that's pretty neat. Hey, Paul, why don't you write and let the church know uh, that my love for them is kind of like a husband's love for his wife. No, God created marriage. And it's, it's, like a, it's one of those many sleeper cells of God's glory, his imprint, just seeded into the created order. He said, I'm gonna show them what I'm like my perfect, sacrificial, faithful love for my people. And so I'll make this great gift called marriage and through it, they will see me. So when the Bible says 50 times that God is a shepherd, we must not assume that this is just some random word picture, shepherds and sheep. It wasn't David's idea and he certainly didn't invent shepherding. God in his wisdom said, there's a tender, perfect care that I have for my people. So I will make sheep, an animal that always needs help. And I will give shepherds to the sheep. And in this, they're going to see what I'm like. So when David was a boy, as he climbed on his father, Jesse's lap, he probably asked, Daddy, tell me the story of our family again. Tell me about how he rescued us. Tell me the story of Joseph. And, and as Jesse would draw to the end of the story of, of Joseph and, and how the Lord brought Joseph's father and his brothers to Egypt, he would tell how Joseph brought his two boys to see their dying grandfather uh, at the end of his life. And, and, and David would, little David would hear about how Jacob placed his hands on the heads of his grandsons and he blessed them. And he said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the one who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys, the God who has been my shepherd. Jacob, the deceiver, 
The, he, he was the one who recognized the God of the covenant, the God of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac. He's shepherded me. He's pursued me and rescued me. He's guided me through my life. And this is everywhere in the Bible. Our God, the shepherd God. He's, he has always been this. And if you are his, he is your shepherd. And David had come to know that. The Lord is my shepherd. See those, those little, if you see in your Bible, the little capital letters uh, for Lord, this is the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. I am who I am. Yahweh, the creator God is my shepherd. And a shepherd would have been a nobody, a lower class, maybe a child. David was, was a shepherd, well, not, not a child, but a young man. And, and you go out, you're, you're a little lower on the food chain. You go out, be with the smelly sheep. So we have to ask, why would the God of the universe in his sovereignty, bother to take on a low-class job just so he could find green pastures and quiet waters for me. It's because he's the Lord. He's my shepherd. And the Lord is not simply a shepherd. He is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. My. I think our theology kind of can get in the way here sometimes when it comes to seeing God rightly. Um, that may sound strange that our theology would get in the way of seeing God. But what I mean is sometimes we, we, we think a lot about God. We sing a lot about God. We even teach each other and talk to each other about God. But if our theology leaves us in the position where we're serving and we're following a God who's out there, he's high and lofty and far from us. It may be that we forsake, we've forsaken the fullness of who God is. Namely, that he is my shepherd I shall fear no evil because you are with me. If in all of our talking about God, we never go to him, then we, we're missing. We're missing it. He's personal. He is with us. He's your shepherd. He's yours. And it's okay to say this. God doesn't just care about the church collective. He cares for you. And so we must go to him. This is why I love how some people, more recently we've seen people take hymns, some of the old hymns and, and add uh, a chorus here or there. Um, and these, these hymns that are, that are fantastic, that we love to sing, that are chock full of great theology, great teaching about God, um, but that they would add a level of response and, and going to God. That yes, we'd sing, man of sorrows, what a name, for the son of God who came for ruined sinners to reclaim. But that our refrain would be, hallelujah, redeemer and king, your love has rescued me. So the Lord is my shepherd. If he feels far from you today, hear it. He's yours. Go to him. He will receive you. And our second confession is that I'm a sheep. Okay, so we got to find ourselves in the story. So if he's the shepherd, there's not a lot of parts left. There's no hero role here for you. Uh, there's no good supporting actor, actress. Um, there's nothing left. If God's our shepherd, we're the sheep. And if we are the sheep, we have problems. Uh, today's our, our family service. Uh, so, so a lot of our elementary kids were in the last service and I see several here today in this, in this service as well. So I want you to do something. I want you kids, I want you to lean over and I want you to answer this question. Actually, do, adults, you can do this too. Um, uh, lean over to whoever you're sitting with and answer this question. If I could be any animal, I would be a fill in the blank. Ooh, a cheetah. Has anyone ever dreamed of being a sheep? Good. You're very smart. If God is the shepherd, that means we are the sheep, and that's not flattering. 
Uh, if someone calls you a sheep, they are not complimenting you. And if they did that today, you'd know that. If they did it then, it's still true. It's not a compliment, no matter when it was. No one wants to be a sheep. There are not, there's no pro sports team called the sheep. Uh, I, there are the Rams. Um, so I had that, somebody told me that, um, which is true. Uh, but the sheep are, the ram, a ram is a different thing altogether. Not completely, but that's another, we'll have another conversation. I'm not a shepherd, so we'll have a conversation after this. Um, there's no superhero, as, as far as I'm aware of, called Sheep Man. I haven't seen Infinity War. There's a lot of superheroes, I think, in that one, but I don't think there's a Sheep Man. And yet over and over again, God's people are called sheep. And here we are in Psalm 23 where David, King David, at the height of his rule, is calling himself a sheep. So what do we need to know about sheep? Back in the 70s, there was a guy named uh, Philip Keller who he worked as a shepherd and worked with sheep in a bunch of different ways and worked with a lot of animals. Um, And he ended up later in his life becoming a pastor of of a, a lay pastor of a congregation um, and he wrote a little book uh, as he ministered in his church called uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I came across this several times this week, so I thought, you know what, I just need to look at it. Um, and here's a few things that uh, Keller says about sheep. He said, uh, sheep require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. So he's saying we're pretty high maintenance. A few other things we know is that uh, natural predators for sheep can be just about anything. Uh, lions, bears, birds, dogs, insects. Uh, and when the attack comes, they don't have a lot of means of protecting themselves. Um, no defense mechanism, no claws, um, only some with horns, no sharp teeth. Uh, and, and sometimes as their wool gets heavy, they stumble in a hole and they've fallen. And when they've fallen, they can't get up. Um, that's not a that's not an animal you want to be. The animal that needs other animals or people to help you up. Um, they can't provide for themselves. They can't find food. They will thirst to death unless the water's right there. Basically, God is saying you're a precious animal, but you've got problems. Jesus said it this way when he looked out in Matthew nine. It says he he looked out at those who were spiritually uh, and physically in shambles, and he said it says that he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like a sheep without a shepherd. So that's us, distressed, dejected, without our shepherd. So from the beginning today, if you're not willing to acknowledge that your life is not always, uh, that you're not always the the best leader of your life, um, then you haven't yet realized that you're a sheep. We, we are them. They're us. We run to polluted streams. We run to things that we think will satisfy, um, but we don't know what those things are because we are, like the sheep. We can't sit still for more than five minutes sometimes without having to look at our phones because we can't stand the idea of being alone in our thoughts. Let me get to Facebook. Let me get on Instagram. Maybe approval there will make me feel okay. Maybe uh, endless entertainment will make, we'll, we'll kind of get this thing going. Maybe if the bank account is a little bigger, I'll feel, I'll be able to rest. I'll be able, I'll be able to feel secure. But none of this renews our soul. None of us, none of this Our inadequacy needs a shepherd. So what kind of shepherd do we need? First, we need a shepherd who will meet our needs. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. One of the chief characteristics of a good shepherd is he meets the needs of a sheep. Shepherd knows the sheep. He knows what they need. But sheep won't take care of everything on their own. 
They're not good managers. They need shepherds to do this. And if a shepherd sends the sheep out and he leaves them there for long into the same field, the sheep will eat the grass all the way down to the dirt. And then they will paw at the dirt and actually break up the roots and kill all the grass. Without a shepherd moving them around, they'll destroy the pasture. And then when the rains come, that, that dirt that they pawed up will fill up with water and, uh, and they will drink the water that becomes stagnant and sits there for a while. They'll, in the same field, they'll, they'll poop and pee everywhere and they'll end up drinking that and they will hurt themselves, kill themselves. The shepherd has to lead them. He has to go out into the field. He has to look for predators. He has to look for snakes and poisonous plants. They have to be led to the right pasture, the right water, the safe place. And, and that's when they'll survive. So when a sheep is with the shepherd, they don't lack anything. And this is not the, the message of our world, right? This is the world is saying to us the exact opposite is that you lack everything. And we're, we get shepherded by that message and we hear it and we think even, even we get to the point where no matter what we have, we always have that kind of pit in our stomach. Man, I really, man, if I could just get that, like that would make next month awesome. This would really kind of, this would just really be the thing that is my thing. This would satisfy me. But he's saying, you lack nothing. Was this true for David that he lacked nothing? He was clearly, he was hunted down by Saul. At one point he experienced much difficulty, much uh, tragedy in his life. There were many things he lacked. So did God's sheep lack nothing? Later, the sheep here are going to be in the valley. Certainly in the valley, they'll lack something. We always lack something. So this that can't mean that we don't ever want other things, but it has to mean that we everything that we have, we need, or everything that we need, we have. I won't lack anything that the shepherd thinks I need. Anything that he thinks is good for me. And this is what contentment is with the shepherd saying, no matter what I lack, no matter what I don't have, you've given me what I need. And contentment doesn't come from some sort of monk-like Zen experience of emptying our desires. Contentment comes from knowing the shepherd, knowing that there is nothing he's withholding from me, that he takes care of the lilies of the field, the, he feeds the birds, and he'll care for me. The great hymn writer, John Newton, said it this way. This is one of my favorite quotes. He says, if you are a child of God, everything that God lets through must be necessary. Everything he doesn't let through couldn't be necessary. I'll read that again. If you are a child of God, everything that God lets through must be necessary. Everything he doesn't let through couldn't be necessary. What is it you feel you are lacking today? Do you believe the shepherd is holding out on you? If comfort is not yours, look to him. Contentment and satisfaction can be yours in Christ. Verse two, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. So from what I understand, sheep are difficult. That it's difficult to get them to rest, to get them to lie down because unless they have had what they need, they have the food and the water and the safety that they require, they will refuse to rest. In fact, they will stop sleeping um, and they will eat, they will continue to eat. Uh, some of us may be able to identify with this and we just continue to eat. And, we, and they'll even eat things that they don't need because they're unsettled. And then the shepherd will take them up to the high field, to the, to the right, the fresh grass, the good water. Um, and then they'll finally sit down. And I think a lot of us are like that, right? We're racked with anxiety, with restlessness. And sometimes we don't even know why. 
Uh, we talk sometimes about uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. Have you heard of this? I don't know if that's a real word, but the kids say it is. Um, so, sometimes we just, I think that we're just afraid we're gonna miss stuff. When the Lord is your shepherd, you don't have to worry that you're missing the good stuff. Your shepherd is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He knows every pitfall, every enemy. He knows you. He knows your proneness to wonder. He knows your anxiety, the fears that you carry. He cares about you. And when you have a shepherd like that, you can rest. Paul told the Philippians not to be anxious about anything. This is not a small suggestion. If, if, you've, if you're anxious about things, this is no small suggestion, but it is possible for what he's saying is if the, this is the result of you presenting your request to God. It's not a don't worry, be happy sort of Christianity. It's deep renewal and rest in God because I have presented my requests to the shepherd. Whatever it is that I'm lacking, whatever emptiness is plaguing me, whatever anxiety is robbing you today, the shepherd says, come, come and see you lack nothing. So we need a shepherd who will meet our needs. And second, we need a shepherd who's with us. See if I can get this thing to change. Boom. There it goes. Uh, He leads me along right paths for his name's sake. So sheep are habitual. From what I understand, they will walk in the same paths over and over again. They will walk even so much so that it will become a rut and they will fall in the rut. Um, And, and, and so we, we, sheep need to be led. We need to be led. Uh, our shepherd leads us. He leads us in right paths. Uh, we don't know how to walk without the shepherd's leading. Husbands, we don't know how to be godly husbands. But he gives us his word. He gives us his spirit so that we might love as Christ loved. He, we look to Jesus. Wives, the Lord guides you t- through his word by his spirit, so that you might honor Christ as a wife, so that you might know how to, how to live as a wife. Children, he shows you how to obey, how to honor the right path of honoring and following your parents. This is the right path. And he leads, he leads us. He does this for us. We need him. We need him to guide us into the right paths, into holiness, into righteous paths. And check out this connection. I'd never made this connection before. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. I grew up probably as many of you did hearing this in King James, right? So in the King James, the, uh, this is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You have to say that kind of ominously. Um, the word yea, which is a word that is just like, might as well just say, woo. Like, I mean, we don't know, like, I don't know what, but here's, here I know what's communicated and this is what is meant that even, so he leads me on right paths even when I go through the darkest valley. This means even the valley is a right path. This isn't sheep, a sheep stumbling off on his own. This was a shepherd leading the sheep into difficulty. Why? The shepherd knows, but he's certainly doing something. We may not know, Keller says this is probably that the shepherd's taking them to where the provision was. During the spring months, the shepherd would take the sheep from the lowlands up to the highlands and, and there they would, they would be able to feast in the, in the green pastures uh, and then they would move down into the valleys. Um, and so when you walk down into the valley, it's darker in the valley, not as much direct sunlight. Uh, e- even worse, sheep in a valley, like fish in a barrel. I don't think it's a saying, but it, 
it works. Sheep in a valley, like fish in a barrel. They, they have no protection. Their predators on high gra- are on high ground. They're seeing every move the sheep are making and they can plan their attack and they can pounce at the right moment. But still, the shepherd is saying, There's, I'm still gonna walk you there. We still, there's still somewhere we're going. And so as we walk through this scary valley, we don't have to be afraid because he's with us. Early in the life of our church, one of the most faithful couples um, I, I knew and know ha- had multiple miscarriages. Uh, this was a dark valley. And I still remember trying to minister to them and talking to the husband. And, and by minister, I really mean, just mean I just listened um, and, and prayed, tried to somehow share, share the burden, carry the burden. But I still remember him praying, Lord, if there's something you're doing, something we need to learn by taking us on this path, help us to learn it. He was in the valley and he's trusting the shepherd, knowing full well that he may never know where the shepherd's taking him. But whatever path the shepherd was on, it was the right path and the shepherd was with him. And the longer we follow Christ, I think we will all experience this. He will lead you into valleys. And most certainly he's taking you somewhere, but that doesn't mean that you'll ever know where that is, that you'll ever perceive what the purpose of the valley was. But the right path is sometimes through the dark valley and we need not fear being there. Why? Because he's with us. And he's acting for the sake of his name. There's a certain response uh, to being in a valley that says to everyone, my shepherd's a good one. When sheep trust the shepherd, the name of the shepherd is made great. Rod and Michelle Wistrahan recently have walked through a dark valley and everyone around them as they watched them walk through the valley, everyone who saw them said, they've got a good shepherd. Michelle's confidence in the Lord to care for her life made much of Jesus. Even as she walked through the darkest valley, the Lord was with her. The Lord is with her, even in death, for his name's sake. And then verse four, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There are very real enemies as we're walking through the valley, but the Lord is with us. He's, he protects us from the great enemy, Satan, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. As the shepherd, the shepherd would have had a rod uh, for protection. So the rod, from what I understand, again, no shepherd here, um, but the rod would have been a, uh, a large club. I'm imagining kind of a caveman's club, large kind of oversized baseball bat, a significant weapon. He would use it to throw at or to hit enemies. Uh, and, and all sorts of predators. Um, and and he, would, he would use the, the staff for more delicate work. Staff was uh, more like this typical staff you see in the nativity scene uh, with the hook on the end so the shepherd could pull back a straying sheep. And it, it, just the touch of the staff would let the sheep know, I'm here. Uh, the sheep is learning. The shepherd's with me. He's there. I, I see him. He's going to take care of me. So when, when the sheep gets into the valley, he can see the mountain lion. Or he, he can't see the mountain lion. He can't see the bear, but he can see the shepherd. And he knows he's there. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He can fight the enemy. He can draw me back. I'm secure. Do you have friends walking in a valley right now? And are you, are you unsure what to tell them? It's, it's difficult. How, how, do I, how do I pray? What do I say? What do I do? Um, we're prone, I think, in those moments to, to make promises that we can't keep, uh, 
to say untrue things even, even, even though we're trying to help and serve. Here's something that is never trite, never wrong. As you speak to a brother or to a sister, you say, tell them the Lord is with you. You may be able to, you may be able to speak into their situation. You may be able to offer some advice. But what they need to know more than they need your advice is they need to know the Lord is with them. They need to know that their shepherd is there. What valley are you walking through now? Is there one coming? Can you see it on the horizon? Is fear plaguing you? Know this, the Lord is with you. And listen, listen, what he, listen to what he does in verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So when the sheep is safe, even in the dark valley, he can still feast. So this table I think here is just a feast. Probably referring to the green pastures the, 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 that the shepherd would lead him to, even in the dark place, even in the valley. The sheep can rest in the presence of the shepherd. So the, 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 the shepherd would use oil um, as a means of medicine, as a means of, of keeping insects and bugs off of the sheep. Um, and, and even with enemies lurking around in the valley, the sheep could stop to enjoy the feast that the shepherd brought. Are anxieties nearby for you? Is the valley crushing? The shepherd's with you. And guess, guess what? He has a feast for you. He wants to nourish you. He prepares a table for you. He invites you to come feast on his word. Are you so consumed with anxiety and worry that you're not feasting on him? Or maybe it's just distraction. Maybe that, 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 that uh, quiet time with your iPad has turned into like five minutes of reading God's word and 20 minutes of answering emails. And so we've got to cut through some of these distractions and maybe just, just maybe for a second, set our phones down. Maybe for a minute, turn the TV off, close the laptop. Maybe, maybe you need to take those sorts of things out of your bedroom and, you, and we need to pray. We need to pray with the, the Bible open as the shepherd leads you and as he nourishes your soul. Jesus went away. He went away and was alone to be with the father. And if he had to do that, then, it, if, then we've got to do it. We, we have to, as the sheep, be, we need to be with him. One day we'll be in a, a great feast in the presence of the, the, our, our enemies and they will be exiled out of God's presence forever. But even now we will feast on the provision of God. Enemies may be nearby, but he is nearer to us. So I think it's good that we would think, what are the, those rhythms for us? When do you feast? When do you get the provision of the Lord? Is it in the car? Is it listening to the Bible? Is it praying to him there? Is it actually going to bed at night at a time where you could wake up early enough before the kids are awake or before you're running out the door to make it to work on time so that you might feast on God's word? Maybe it's in the parking lot before you walk into work. Maybe it's on the treadmill. Uh, we've filled all of these times with so many distractions. So, but where, where will your time be to meet with the shepherd? Maybe it's at night when you lay down. People are like, don't read the Bible, don't pray it. And you know, when you, you can't do that, you'll just, it'll, you'll fall asleep. That's okay. I mean, if you fall asleep every single time you go to read the Bible, then change, sit up or move or do it at a different time. Uh, but 
But if, if, if the worst thing that happened was that you fell asleep every night scrolling through the Psalms instead of scrolling through your Twitter feed or instead of watching the next episode of whatever, the Lord would renew you there. He would restore you there. There's no Christian requirement for daily Bible reading. Um, but if we aren't regularly allowing our minds, our anxieties to be bent toward the shepherd and brought to him, then something's got to change. And as we wind those distractions in the presence of our enemies down, he will meet us. Psalm 19.7 says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing the soul. Sheep that don't stay near the shepherd, or worse yet, ones who functionally live as though there is no shepherd, will be restless, will be malnourished. So number three, we need a shepherd who will stay with us. Verse six, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I love this picture that at the end of your life, you'd be able to look back over your shoulder and say, sure enough, the Lord's goodness, the Lord's mercy, his faithful love, they're still with me. He's still with me. You may have heard this as goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life as though God's kind of trailing behind, fixing up my messes. But no, this is God's faithful love that is after me all my life, not dawdling behind. His faithful love is incredible. It's committed to us. It will never forsake us, never leave us. This is sacred vow language that he is stubbornly, that we are stubborn and that he is committed to us. This is the language of a, of a groom for a bride, his faithful love. It's wedding language. That's why I think in, 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 a, in weddings, we should say a couple things. Number one, the vow should always say something to the effect of for richer, for poor, sickness and health, uh, all of those, all, all of that language uh, till death parts us because that's, that's what is required. That's faithful, loyal love. But number two, it should be something along the lines of only by God's grace can I actually do those things because there's only one who can make a sure covenant. Only one who has perfect faithful love to offer and that's how he loves us. And he loves me like this for my whole life. It's not going to run out. I won't exhaust the faithful love of God and the culmination of his pursuit of me is I will dwell in the house of the Lord until there are no more days for me. This is what David wanted in, in Psalm 27. He, he says it. He says, one thing have I asked from the Lord. It's what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord. So this, this whole Psalm is, is leading not to escape problems, not to greener grass, no pun intended, um, not even just to rest, but the whole thing is leading to God himself, that we would dwell with him. And so this is all great, but in the end, I think we've, we have a problem. As great as the shepherd is, I'm still a stubborn sheep. To simply make the Lord my shepherd will not happen. David wrote this book looking back on the Lord's provision for him, how he restored David's life how God was the faithful shepherd for Israel. I think this is fascinating that if we really look at it, this is really a picture of Israel and what Israel went through. The Psalm is practically about them. It's, it's about how they, how they wandered, how God led them as a shepherd through the wilderness, how he gave them food from heaven and, and water, even from a rock. And even with their enemies all around, God gave his people Israel a place. He brought them to a land where they could dwell with him forever. He did it for them. But guess what? 
Still many of them failed to follow him. They rejected him as their shepherd. So what's to say I won't do the same? Yes, he's the best shepherd, but without his work in me, I'm still wicked. How can my future be secure? Here's here's the final thing we must have from our shepherd, God. We need a shepherd who is, there it was. I don't know how to do this. There it is. We need a shepherd who's also a sheep. God looked at bad leaders in the Old Testament. And he said in Micah 5, he said, To you, Bethlehem, small among the clans of Judah, one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me, and he will shepherd them in the strength of the Lord. They will live securely. And then he showed up. The shepherd came. Jesus came on the scene and he looked out at the people. Remember, distressed, dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion. In fact, Jesus knew Psalm 23. He knew the promise of the Lord who is our shepherd. And he said one day to his disciples in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the one that David sang about. I'm the one that Jacob spoke about. I'm no hired hand. I'm the one who will provide what you need, who will free you from fear and discontentment, who will protect you from enemies and especially from that great last enemy, death itself. And here's how you know I'm the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for the sheep. And you know how you can know that I'm the shepherd who can take you through the darkest valley? I will enter that valley called death. And I won't just be a shepherd with you in the valley. I will be the sheep who walks through the valley. I will be the lamb of God and I will do it for you. I will take all of your wandering and your doubting. And instead of being shepherded through this myself, I will experience loss, abandonment. Psalm 22 comes right before Psalm 23. And Jesus will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus will walk through the utter abandonment of death on a cross in order to be the good shepherd of Psalm 23. And what does he do? He lays down his rod. He lays down his staff. And he becomes a prey to his enemies. And he willingly lays down his life. He became like a lamb led to the slaughter and he laid down his life for the sheep. But three days later, he rose again and he shot that valley of death through with light. And he dealt a mortal blow to that great enemy death. And his new life, his risen life, risen from the dead is yours. So that now if you believe in Christ, when you hear the voice of your shepherd calling you to walk through the darkest valley, you can know that he is with you because he's already faced it all. And you can know that death won't take us from him because he took death upon himself. Guys, our shepherd became a sheep, the very spotless lamb of God. And he took death upon himself so that we could live. Church, the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd. And he says, I am with you even to the end of the age. And you will dwell with him forever. I want to end with this passage out of Revelation chapter seven. And this is speaking of believers in Jesus in this heavenly scene in Revelation as we look to the forever scene. And it says this of these people, it says they will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them nor will any scorching heat for the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. 
He will guide them to springs of the waters of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lamb of God, he is our forever king. He is forever our sheep. The Lamb of God, he will forever be our shepherd. Let me pray. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.